believer in Christ, have you been praying for divine intervention or God's help in real, overwhelming needs in your life? Have you asked Jesus to immerse and envelop you in the power of the Holy Spirit? The same power that he operated in to heal the sick, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, raise the dead, and perform mighty miracles is available to you today through the same baptism in the Spirit that he himself received. The next few minutes can revolutionize your life as you learn how to be clothed with power from on high. Welcome to the Real Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Lambert. In an hour when deception and apostasy is rampant on earth, the need for proclaiming the real truth has never been more desperate. Jesus prophesied, An hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Proclaiming the real truth of the written and rhema prophetic word of God that he is revealing in this hour is our goal. Affecting real change in the hearts and minds of believers in Christ in order to fulfill the purposes and plans of God is our purpose. Friends, throughout this teaching series, I am leading you on a journey to discover the real truth about a matter second in importance to none except salvation itself, which is the matter of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Each segment of teaching is one vital link in that journey, which leads ultimately to the real truth concerning the role of the third member of the Godhead in your life, whom Jesus himself called the Helper, that is, the blessed Holy Spirit, the living waters of God. God says in Hosea 4, 6, that his people, that means born-again believers, Christians, are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Ignorance or lack of knowledge concerning spiritual matters, not only is not bliss, but it is an open gateway to devastation and destruction. Jesus taught that the knowledge of the truth sets free, which inherently means that what you do not know of the truth will keep you in bondage. The unfortunate truth is that many born-again believers are being held captive by lack of knowledge of the truth and deceptions concerning this critical matter of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, some of the main points I am going to be establishing and providing scriptural support for 
during the course of this teaching are that, one, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a separate and distinct or adjunctive experience to the infusion of the Holy Spirit that takes place at the moment of salvation. Two, regeneration by the Spirit, that is, salvation, the new birth, and the baptism in the Holy Spirit are two distinct and separate workings of the same Holy Spirit. In salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to live within the believer, imparting the fruit of the Spirit, that is, the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. In the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the believer is enveloped by, or immersed in, the Holy Spirit, that is to say, the Holy Spirit comes upon the believer, in contrast to in the believer, and imparts the gifts of the Holy Spirit. These facts are clearly supported by Scripture and are exemplified by the experience of Jesus himself, who is our supreme model. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Jesus explicitly stated that the baptism in the Holy Spirit will be given to any believer who simply asks him for it. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is a gift of grace received by faith and often imparted through the laying on of hands by other anointed believers. The Ephesian Example We continue in this segment of teaching our examination of biblical examples that demonstrate that the initial evidence someone has received the baptism in the Holy Spirit is endowment with the gift of tongues. The example we examine in this segment is that of the Ephesian believers, for which our text is Acts 19, 1-7. It happened that while Apollo was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when? Since, KJV. You believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying, and there were in all about twelve men. Now I like to refer to this incident of these twelve disciples of the Lord at Ephesus as the First Baptist Church at Ephesus. And there's good cause for that. 
because these believers indicated upon the Apostle Paul's questioning that they were actually followers of John the Baptist, the original Baptist, John the Baptist, who were true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have indeed partaken of that baptism of John, which is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In fact, this is what the Apostle Paul told these Baptists in this text we are looking at. In verse 4, he said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. But notice what he says after that, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And John the Baptist's testimony concerning Jesus, as found in Matthew 3.11, was, As for me, I baptize you in water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so John was saying that the baptism that he initiated the people in was a baptism done by men to recognize that they have received the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a symbol of salvation. The baptism in water does not save you, but it is a symbol that you are already saved and that you have confessed the Lord Jesus Christ. In water baptism, as you go down under the water, what you are saying is the old man is going down under this water and is dying. And what is coming up is this new creature in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. This is a baptism of repentance, a baptism in which you have changed your mind concerning the old life. And now you have turned and set your face like a flint toward the kingdom of God. No longer will you live for Satan and his ideology, his thinking, his way. But now you will live according to the word, will, and ways of God. It is a baptism of repentance, water baptism. But John always testified of the one who would come after him saying that you needed to receive the baptism that he gives, which is a mightier baptism, because this is the baptism about which Jesus spoke, saying, you shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. This is why John said he would baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. Fire in the Bible always symbolizes the power of God. In fact, in one place, the Bible says that our God is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12, 29. These disciples that the Apostle Paul found in Ephesus were indeed the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, over the years, there has been a teaching propagated purporting that these 12 men here, who were called disciples, were not truly disciples of Jesus but rather disciples of John. However, there are a number of reasons that that cannot possibly be the case. Chief among those is the fact that the book of Acts is a part of canonized scripture, part of the 66 books that have now been canonized and we now call the Bible or Holy Writ or Scripture all of which, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, 
is God-inspired or God-breathed, meaning that it was not just written by men, but it is actually from the breath or spirit of God. The word for breath in the Greek is the same word for spirit, which is pneuma, the word for which we get pneumatic, and it means breath, and it also means spirit. So this is talking about the very breath of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. Then it goes on to say that it is profitable for teaching, or the King James says, for doctrine, which certainly flies directly in the face of that teaching which has also come forth, saying that the book of Acts cannot be used for doctrine. And therefore, what it has to say about the baptism in the Holy Spirit is thus negated. That is a convenient teaching for those who want to try to refute the truth of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but is nonetheless false. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. It specifically says, for doctrine. That word in the Greek is the word for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, it is especially talking about the man of God, the man who would purport to be a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, a prophet, someone speaking on behalf of God, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, KJV. All Scripture is given to perfect and thoroughly furnish that individual, the minister, unto all good works. This word that is translated furnished in the King James is actually talking about equipping. So in order to be properly equipped for battle, if you will, to be properly equipped or outfitted, the man of God must himself be thoroughly immersed and teach out of all Scripture, that is, the whole counsel of God, Acts 20, 27, KJV. And so the Apostle Paul finds these believers, and we know these were truly believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Amplified Version actually explicitly says that, for it renders verse 2 this way, And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And then parenthetically, it says, on Jesus as the Christ. And of course, that would have to mean that. And that is another reason that they could not possibly be merely disciples of John, because he is talking about when you believed. And all of the thrust of the gospel is about believing, not upon John, but upon Jesus as the Lord and Christ. In order for this passage of Scripture to say what some people are attempting to make it say, it would have to mean that these believers were believers in John as the Messiah rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. But we know that is ludicrous. The salient point is that these Ephesians were already born-again, spirit-infused believers. They had received the working of the Holy Spirit in regeneration when they believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and to his question, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? The King James Version says, Since you believed. They responded, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. This sounds so similar to many of our modern-day Baptist brethren and others who unfortunately have not even heard that there is such a thing as the Holy Spirit and the baptism in the Holy Spirit, or they've heard erroneous teaching regarding it. And then Paul asked them, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul responded, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, Jesus Christ. Then look at their response to what the Apostle Paul told them in verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me add here very strongly that this does not in any way mean what some people try to make this to mean those that are referred to as Jesus only, or oneness, or modalists. This is not what this is talking about when it says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This term, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Greek actually means on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, or for this cause of Jesus. So it was into Jesus that they were baptized, contrasted to John's baptism of repentance. That's the true meaning of what it's saying here. It is not establishing Jesus-only dogma, as certain groups allege. Now, it is not really all that important, and we must not get dogmatic about it, but what I believe concerning this verse is that they were actually really baptized in water and they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, because they were not instructed properly about the baptism of John in the first place. For the true baptism that John was preaching was a baptism to demonstrate identification with Jesus as the Messiah, to testify that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior, and that they had identified and connected with Him. And so they were baptized. And then in verse 6, it says, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, not in them. He was already in them because they were believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, who had confessed Christ and thereby were saved, Romans 10, 9. And if they were legitimate disciples of Christ, they had already been infused with the Holy Spirit in regeneration. The Holy Spirit, indeed, was resident in these believers' human spirit. So, when the Apostle Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, not in them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying as it percolated forth out of their innermost being. So once again, we see in the example of the Ephesian believers that true initial evidence that someone has received the baptism in the Holy Spirit is that they begin to speak with other tongues with the Spirit supplying the substance or essence of the utterance. Enjoying this podcast? 
Please take a minute to pray if the Lord would have you to help us with the substantial financial burden of this program. We receive no grants or funding from any organization or government agency and no other means of support than the gracious and generous giving of our listeners. SLM Inc. bears the entire burden. In about 30 seconds, you can donate at paypal.me forward slash SLM Inc. Again, that's paypal.me forward slash S-L-M-I-N-C to give any amount. Thank you for your gifts, generosity, and graciousness. Now, before I leave this topic of the Ephesian believers, I want to share some thoughts relative to this small group of Ephesian believers that shed some light on why they believed the way they did, at this point, from my dear friend Charles Carin. I will share more about him and his remarkable ministry history, as well as some more quotes from him in later chapters. What follows here to the end of this chapter is an excerpt from one of his recent newsletters. The Bible's example of a powerless pastor who preached a powerless gospel. The book of Acts gives us a working model of a conscientious, godly pastor who preached a powerless gospel. Like many today, Apollos was the pastor of a small, struggling congregation. He was faithful, loved God, served the congregation, but was totally bereft of power. While he was away from home at Ephesus, Paul came and found his church of twelve male disciples with wives and children. In spite of Apollos having excellent credentials for ministry, Paul immediately recognized powerlessness in the man's flock. Both Paul and Apollos were servants of God. Both equally loved the church, and each possessed vast knowledge of Scripture. Even so, a major discrepancy existed between their ministries. Paul had power. Apollos did not. Paul preached the gospel of the kingdom. Apollos obviously knew nothing about it. In light of the Apostle Jude's exhortation to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints, we see how Apollos though innocent of any evil intent, had accepted a partial gospel and experienced partial results. The ministries of Paul and Apollos are a parallel of pastors and churches today. I emphasize the fact that Apollos was ignorant because he had never been taught, not because he had knowingly rejected the truth. In our day, pastors fall into two groups, those who have never been taught and are innocently ignorant of spiritual gifts, and those who willfully reject spiritual gifts. Carefully observe these seven facts which Scripture records about Apollos. Acts 18.24-28 1. He was a Jew. 2. An eloquent man. 3. Mighty in Scripture. 4. Instructed in the way of the Lord. 5. Fervent in spirit. 6. Taught accurately the things of the Lord. 7. But he knew only the baptism of John. That is, he knew nothing 
about the baptism in the Spirit. He had a partial gospel and a partial faith. When Paul recognized spiritual powerlessness in the Ephesians, he asked the all-revealing question, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They responded, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. This tragic ignorance existed because Apollos knew only the baptism of John. He knew nothing about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and had left his congregation in that same condition. Paul immediately instructed the Ephesians about the Holy Spirit's empowering, and when he laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. That event proved to be a cataclysmic change, not only for Ephesus, but for the rest of the Roman world. Under Apollos' ministry, the church at Ephesus accomplished absolutely nothing to awaken the city. It demonstrated no kingdom power remained spiritually paralyzed, and except for the local synagogue, its presence was virtually unknown. In that state, the congregation had no effective witness, made no impact on the people, was no threat to powers, principalities, rulers of the darkness of this world, etc. Instead, the dark cloud of paganism gripped the land with unchallenged control. The Temple of Diana, or Artemis, already famous as the greatest of all seven wonders of the ancient world, dominated the area. It was in the shadow of this formidable enemy that this minuscule church, ineffective and unknown, lay dormant. That changed when Paul arrived, see Acts 19. When he came on the scene, Ephesus experienced a kingdom of God earthquake. Paul was not the power, but he was the instrument for the truth that produced the shaking. He merely provided the window through whom the power roared. Apollos and twelve other windows were already present in Ephesus, but they had never been opened. Friends, I hope you understand how vital this teaching is you are hearing. The real truth regarding the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This issue is the most critical issue to the Christian life after salvation itself. Now, if you want that baptism in the Holy Spirit I've been talking about and would like to know more about it and how to receive it, I've written a book and even recorded an audio book of the book that will help you with that. The book title is Dunamis, Power from on High. Dunamis, Power from on High. Now, this concise book explains what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is, the scriptural precedent and proofs regarding it, how to sort out the real truth from all the diverse teaching that exists concerning it based on Scripture, 
and it provides some simple explanation for receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I want you to have this special book and or audio book I've prepared for you to help you understand it and to receive this powerful working of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can order the book and audio book online on our website at realtruthradio.com where you can place your order by clicking on the PayPal donate button to use any bank card which does not require a PayPal account. Again, go to realtruthradio.com to place your order and where you can also listen to the recordings of all our podcasts. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Real Truth. I'm Stephen Lambert. Please subscribe to the podcast, share with your friends, and visit realtruthradio.com to join our mailing list. sure to tune in to the next edition of The Real Truth. Until then, this is Stephen Lambert reminding you that with God all things are possible and all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to His purpose.